brain fog, insomnia, moodiness, weight gain. Maybe you think they're just part of getting older, but Midi Health understands that for women over 40, they can all connect to menopause. It's at the root of dozens of symptoms we experience, not just hot flashes. Midi clinicians are menopause experts offering safe, effective, FDA-approved solutions covered by insurance. 91% of Midi patients get relief from symptoms within just two months. Book your virtual visit today at joinmidi.com. What's the easiest choice you can make? Window instead of middle seat? Picking a vendor who sends a great gift basket? Outsourcing business tasks you hate? What about selling with Shopify? Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage, Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash try. Go to shopify.com slash try now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash try. You're listening to a Weeby Geeks Network podcast. Another world. Another time in the age of wonder. There was once a dream you could only whisper it. Anything more than a whisper, and it would vanish. A battle between good and evil. You don't know the power of the dark side. Where shall I find a new adversary so close to my own level? Try the local sewer. You know of the rebellion against the Empire? The Avengers, Earth's mightiest heroes. Peace means having a bigger stick than the other guy. One of these days, I'm gonna have a stick of my own. I'm Groot. Welcome to the Neverland Podcast. The podcast for lovers of Disney, Pixar, Marvel, and Star Wars. I'm glad you're here to tell us these things. Please welcome your host, Jeremy. I thought he'd be taller. Yeah, I can fly. All it takes is faith. Trust. Well, if it isn't the Star-Spangled Man with a plan, what is your plan today? Up to Neverland! Take your pixie out of your pockets, Neverlanders, and sprinkle some of that pixie dust around. Think up that happiest thought and fly away with me to Neverland. Who am I? Well, I'm Jeremy. I am the head lost boy, which makes me the pan, and I'm a big Spider-Man fan, so you can call me the Spider-Pan. That's what everybody calls me around here. We all have nicknames, whether we be lost boys or we be pixies. Because girls never get lost, so girls around here, we call them pixies. But us boys, we're, we kind of get lost. Uh, I'm sure our wives will attest to that. Uh, but we get lost, and so we're known as lost boys in here, and you can become a lost boy or pixie simply by going to NeverlandPodcast.com and clicking on that link that says Neverlanders. We have a lot of fun things happening this week because we have a brand new Marvel film coming out with its own bed of controversy, which I'm going to slightly address some of the controversy before we just dive in with reviewing the movie based upon the content of the movie itself and uh, go into some of the content of who are these characters actually in the Marvel comics that you're going to see in the film. So I'm going to walk you through a whole lot. You're going to hear me talk a whole lot. So I hope you're enjoying the pleasant sounds of my voice. And heck, if you really enjoy the pleasant sounds of my voice, Planet Comic Con Kansas City is coming and we will be there March 30th, 10.30 a.m. Central Time. Lost Boy Eric and I will walk you through and introduce you to some of the artists that worked with Walt Disney here at the Laughagram Studios and what became of these artists and the careers they had after the business failed here in Kansas City. Who went with Walt to work with Walt? Who went other places? Who worked with Walter Mintz? All kinds of fun and interesting information to share with you, which I'm very excited about. I'm currently doing my research, and I'm gathering it all together, and I'm learning some things that I didn't know, including some of the origins of Tom and Jerry, other than the Hanna-Barbera. You know, they did have animators that work with them, and there are some animators from Kansas City that worked on the original Tom and Jerry cartoons. So I'm finding lots of fun and information. But now, before we dive into some news and whatnot, of course, there is 
controversy surrounding the Captain Marvel film. Now, some people have said that these are internet trolls that have been criticizing the film before it's even come out, and these trolls must be people who are film of the DC or Fawcett Comics Captain Marvel, now known as Shazam, with that movie coming out very, very soon. These people want the Captain Marvel Marvel film to fail, and I have seen occasional comments on YouTube where like, oh, well, we like ours better because there are people who do prefer either DC or Marvel, but they don't really have as much contention, I think, as what people say that they do. Sort of like Star Wars and Star Trek. Generally, we like both. And there are people who might favor one a little over the other, but we're not really clashing over the differences and of which one's superior. Because in general, most of us fans like both to some degree, even though we might like one more than the other. So I don't find that as being a big reason why there's been a lot of people upset. But if you spend a little time on YouTube, and I did one video on YouTube to address this, but I've noticed some of the people who tried to address this were obsessed and every day they had a new video complaining and fussing and finding new ways to be upset about this film. That to me is just trying to, they're trying to build a following to just be upset. They're making a profession of complaining without actually seeing the film, only having seen teasers and being upset about Brie Larson making some comments that are just, you know, they're her opinions and you don't have to agree with her and you don't have to even like her. But if you were going to go based upon the opinions of actors on whether or not you should see a film, then you probably shouldn't see any films if you don't like the, the, her opinions because guess what? Hollywood's full of opinions and you're probably not going to agree with them. So that is not really a great reason. Now, granted, she did say some stuff like she didn't want to have an overwhelmingly white male critics. And she previously said about the Wrinkle in Time critics that, oh, they were all white and it wasn't made for them. And so people have taken those words about you know applied them to Captain Marvel. Oh, well, this one wasn't made for us. Uh, so people have almost gone overboard and are just bound and determined to hate the film without seeing it and bound and determined to not see it. And if you don't want to see it, that's fine. Then don't see it. Me, as a reviewer and a podcaster, I was going to take the time to go see it, even though I'm not a big fan of Brie Larson. I wanted to judge the film on its own merits. So, the review we have in this show will be not only me, but Pixie Heather, my wife, came along with me so we can get a woman's perspective because, you know, maybe as a white male, I wouldn't be giving it a fair opinion. Uh, and I don't think that that opinion is correct, that white men are... You know, we shouldn't be able to see these or white men critics are bad because really anyone can be a critic of a film these days. But it is legitimate to see a film, then put up your, you know, criticize it or whatever, put up your review, not review it before or without ever seeing the film. That is not a fair assessment. You have to watch the movie first. So. That's what I did. I went out to watch it, and I figured, all right, if I'm not going to like it, if I don't like it, I will say so. But if I do like it, I will say so. I was going to be completely honest. Whether Brie Larson wants me as another white guy, given the review or not, that's a whole other issue. I'm going to ignore that and just try to watch the film. That's how I was able to go watch The Crimes of Grindelwald. Whatever's going on with Johnny Depp and his personal life or nothing he's actually been accused fully of or prosecuted about, I was able to just enjoy the film. That's what this is about. I don't follow actors and actresses. I'm, I'm not worried about them. I don't, their lives are whatever their lives are. I don't care about their opinions on stuff a lot of ways. I just, I'm here to be entertained. I'm going to go to the film. So, with that being said, let's jump in to some news. Spanning the Disney and Geek Universe to bring you the best in comics, toys, movies, and entertainment. This is news from around Neverland. Okay, I've got a lot of content this week, but I do want to cover a few things that happened in Disney news this week. The biggest thing was that we have the announcement for exactly when Galaxy's Edge, the Star Wars section of Disneyland, will open. May 31st. And then, Walt Disney World will open August 29th. Although, Rise of the Resistance is reported to not open with the park, it's going to be delayed a little bit, so it's going to open a little bit later. But that's okay, it's a very big thing, and maybe that'll slow down some of the people that are going to go for the initial rush to rush in there as quick as possible to check out what's going on. Maybe it'll slow some people down, some other people will go and look at some other things. 
you know, there's still going to be plenty of stuff to look at, but that might have some people that wait until that ride is open before they go. That's, that might be part of the thought process behind the delay, but I think it's just because it's taking a lot of time to build it, and they want to go ahead and get this open. Now, uh, something else is some bad news, though, over at uh, Walt Disney World. A part of Muppet Vision 3D, the mural of Miss Piggy uh, doing a Gone with the Wind with Kermit is being painted over. It's going to be gone. They've already took down the Kermit the Frog Hera hot air balloon. They sold the parts. They've gotten rid of the Muppets Courtyard. The marquee's been replaced. Uh, it, the Muppets are just flat out being eliminated from the parks. Which, uh, that's bothersome. I'm hope I don't even know if the attraction's still going over at Walt Disney World. Last I heard about anything is that Frozen was in there doing a sing-along. Uh, I've heard the operating hours are reduced, and you know my wife has not gotten to see that yet. See the the Muppet Vision 3D, and I mean it's one of the last things Jim Henson ever did. I think it is the last thing that Jim Henson did, and to see it go is very very sad. Now, here's kind of an odd thing, though. With the Fox deal, Disney got a hold of something called Yes HD, which is a like a sports network of some sort. And the Yankees, Amazon, and Sinclair Broadcast Group actually reached a deal with Disney to buy the Yes network for $3.47 billion. Wow. So... This is basically, Disney doesn't need or want necessarily everything they were getting from this Fox deal. And so this is another asset that they're able to put in somebody else's hands. They've probably got their hands full, I'd say, enough with. I mean, uh, they've got ESPN, uh, Fox Sports, I think they were going to let go somewhere else, or they might have been hanging on to it. I don't remember, because they mainly wanted the, the movie uh, area of things. Uh, and they so the 21st Century Fox is where they're aiming, and that gives them rights back to like the original Star Wars films, uh, the prequel films. They have complete rights there. And also the X-Men, they can bring it into the MCU. Makes things a little easier. So they don't have to work out a deal like what they did with uh, with Sony. Now they can start making X-Men films part of the, the MCU. How that's brought about, be that a reboot or whatever, not exactly sure. But if you are planning, though, to go to uh, to a Disney park, to Disneyland or Walt Disney World, if you happen to be a member of Sam's Club, you can save up to $70 on admission to a Disney World in Orlando. And, I mean, starting at just $42 for a 10-day ticket package to Florida. I mean, this is, this is really cool. Uh, a lot of this, though, has to do with doing multiple days on your trip, but most of the time you're going to go multiple days if you're going down there, so that's okay. Uh, they're also selling discounted prices for a four-park magic offering, and that allows guests to enter each park once, and that's prices starting at $87.25 a day. So if you happen to be a member of Sam's Club, uh, go ahead and you know, start looking for this. I figure it's being offered right now. Um, but uh, it does say that Disney still offers the cheapest package for Florida residents. So if you happen to be a Florida resident, I wouldn't worry about it. From now until June 27th, there's three-day packages that are $59 and a four-day packages that are $49. So if you happen to live in Florida, just go ahead and use that. You know. But there is a discount at Sam's Club, though, even for Florida residents. But, yeah, you might want to just go through Disney. So uh, me, I'm not, I don't live in Florida or California, so this is a really nice discount for me. Uh, also, some very, very nice things we do here that... Disney, of course, they're really good with, you know, people with disabilities, special needs, be able to have access so they can get onto attractions and enjoy them. Uh, and we already know there are special provisions being made for access into Star Wars Galaxy's Edge. So this is going to be very cool. And Bob Iger says we're making provisions for a very, very special access to both of those lands for people with disabilities because we know that they're going to be incredibly popular when they open. No kidding. And thus fairly busy. We want to make sure they're accessible to some of our most important guests like children that are in the Make-A-Wish program. I'm sure also the Give Kids the World program is going to be connected in there and they're going to make sure they have some access for those children as well. So we know that Disney takes good care of people who do have special needs and wants them to be able to enjoy the park. 
Uh, we also, though, this week had uh, some more celebrity deaths this week. Uh, wrestler King Kong Bundy from the 80s passed away. Also, Jan Michael Vincent from Airwolf 80s series and a bunch of other things that I never really got into. Uh, I do remember Airwolf. I remember watching it, but I didn't really know what all was going on besides, oh, look, a cool helicopter, you know, so. And we had an, a Nintendo game of Airwolf and everything, but they both passed away this week. And I tell you what, this year is already racking up a, a lot of celebrity deaths. Uh, but that's all I really wanted to cover in news is just a handful of things uh, because we've got a lot of things to cover with Captain Marvel. There'll be spectacle, there'll be fantasy, there'll be daring do and stuff like you would never see. Hey, a movie. Yeah, we're gonna be a movie starring everybody and me. Boy, I wish I were you people seeing this for the first time. Kermit, I got a great picture of the chicken. Oh, good. All right, so we just came from the theater. Well, I guess it's been a little while because we had some lunch. Yeah. But we went to Captain Marvel this morning and uh, to basically put away whatever whatever the internet's buzzing on this to just look at the movie and is it a good movie? Because there's definitely some changes from the comics uh, with even... Well, some of the stuff that I would say that are different would be a spoiler to say anything. So I don't know much about the comics, so I can't say... Yeah. Well, then that's fine. So coming in from that perspective, uh, this plays out like a mystery film uh, where you kind of get it pieced together. Now, I've seen some reviews. Some people say that it was a little confusing uh, with the first half hour. And I guess I could see where people might find it confusing because you get uh, some flashbacks kind of mixed in with a dream and... It, it, I, I was able to follow it, but I think it's because of my familiarity with the Marvel Universe, because when they talk about Scrolls and Kree and whatever, I know what they're talking about. But coming in, if you knew nothing of Scrolls, well, you would know who the Kree are. Uh, I am not as familiar as you are, like, um, and so I did, was a little confused. I was one of the few that, maybe not as confused as some people, that if you didn't... Um, like see the Guardians of the Galaxy or maybe had been involved, watched any of the other ones to pick up those kinds of things. Even people who had seen those movies Um, were confused. I I was. Honestly, like, it was about the first 30 minutes and they're, you know, having a fight and I'm like, I feel like we haven't moved any characters forward. This has just been a big fight sequence. Um, Yeah, You know, from the beginning. And so I did have that moment where the movie, um, you know, the reality of being in the movie was broken because I had the thought of like, we're still fighting. Like, where's the, you know, where, where is the plot going with this? Yeah. Cause the, we don't get uh, an origin story at the beginning of it. We get an origin as part of the mystery of the actual plot of the film. Mm-hmm. I mean, basic on its surface. what we can say without spoiling anything is that, and this is something, you know, coming in as a Marvel person, I already know the Kree empire and the scrolls have been at war for a long time. Uh, we don't really trust the scrolls because the scrolls have been problematic. In fact, the scrolls at one point in the comics created a super scroll that had all of the Fantastic Four's powers because the Fantastic Four kept thwarting the scrolls in their efforts uh, on Earth. And of course, the Kree have always been a problem. And anyone who's watching Agents of Shield has seen the Kree have done some crazy things with humans, including experimentation uh, to cre- see if they could create in humans and all kinds of crazy stuff. The Kree are not really nice people either, and the Kree are an empire. And this is one of the things you mentioned that was a little confusing. When you watch the film, you have to remember the Cree have an empire. So just because someone says they're Cree doesn't mean they're by blood a Cree. It just means they are part of the Cree empire. So they could be from the planet, as they mentioned, Hollis is this other planet. You could be originally from the planet Hollis, but because you've been conquered however long by the Cree, you are like a Cree citizen, so you'd call yourself a Cree. And that's something it comes up a lot, but they don't explain that. But that's one of the things you have to kind of go with. And I don't know if they, they kind of mention heart of the Cree Empire, but you know, unless you think about it, an empire means they've they're conquistadors here, whatever they have conquered all these other planets, and their major concern is on these border planets and stuff like that, and and having problems on their borders with scrolls. Which they get into later. So basically, in the Marvel comics, there's been wars between the Kree and the Scrolls for a very long time. So coming into it, that's not a surprising thing. I kind of get it. And so now the, the interesting thing is you have Veers there, who does not know her real name, does not even know that she's human from Earth. She just thinks she's a Kree because she looks just like everybody else from Hollis. 
and she even believes herself to have blue blood. So I mean that's the the safe area the safe area of where we can talk about the plot and at some point on a mission with uh, she's you know becomes a Kree soldier and she's been in essence brainwashed that oh we're all noble warrior heroes. That's what her training. I mean, that's like her training as a soldier. That's what they've trained her to believe and to do. And you you do see that very much at the yeah. beginning. Um, and then I think it's safe to say as the movie unfolds and she remembers and things like that, that that changes and she yeah. becomes more herself. She becomes more human. And I, I, I did appreciate that we have a good moment because, you know, you, you, you're showing these aliens having these established abilities. I mean, we've already seen how tough a Kree is with Ronan, the accuser. And we yeah. can see, well, we don't really see any more of the accusers, but we hear a little bit about what the accusers do for the Kree. Because mm-hmm. uh, they are our pure blood Cree, uh, so but we're kind of used to they're they're made of some tough stuff, uh, and we see the scrolls having the ability to shape shift like that. So it seems like all these alien races are superior to humans in some fashion, and they seem to have an attitude that we are superior to you humans. And there's a great moment in the film of like, basically shows the the nice and cool thing about a human is we get we can knock down and we can fail a lot, but we can get back up again ever after every failure. Yeah, it's not so much that we are uh, stronger or, you know... Faster ha- or flying Yeah, or higher, anything like that. You know. It's it's that tough endurance that, you know, we keep on and we get up when we fall down. And, yeah. and, and that's that's a nice... Yeah, that was nice. And that's, yeah. uh, that's what I'm taking from it. I'm sure they they had other intentions, sort of like WALL-E. What I take from WALL-E isn't a big environmental message. I take from it that we've forgotten how to be human with all this technology and convenience. And here's this little bit of technology who's learned to be more human and teaches us how to be human again. That's my takeaway from that one. And that's my takeaway from Captain Marvel is, hey, our humans, we're, we're pretty good. We can get back up again, and we can fail, and we don't give up. Now, that's, I'm sure there's plenty of humans that do give up. We're not all perfect, you know, but, but that's a good message to humans. Like, hey, you fall down, you get back up again. Why do we fall down, Seth? So we can get back up again. So, well, I think this is a movie, because um, there are some movies that when you watch them, what you get out of it is what you bring into it. And I think this is one of those things on a variety of levels. Um, yeah, because there's, there's some blatant... Feminist style pokes, but not enough to be obnoxious. But some of them can fly right over your head if you're not familiar with some of the jabs the feminists take. Well, at men. and see, yeah, we had the discussion afterwards of, of certain scenes and things like that where um, I didn't pick up any feminist leanings. Like I took it as something totally different, but I wasn't necessarily looking for um, an underlying message of you, you know uh, of those kinds of things. Um, I saw it as character development. I saw it as um, well. There's there's difference between the things that were character development because one of the critical complaints has been that Brie Larson seems very stiff. Uh, but I think that's that might be part of a character thing because she is supposed to be a soldier at one point. Mm-hmm. But there's a difference between you know I'm being serious and the smug look she has on her face as she's going on to the subway. It's a little, it's a little obnoxious. Well, and see that's where I it, I felt like. This was, she, at this point, believes she's Kree, believes she is better than every other planet because that's the way they train them. Yeah. And so that's where I felt like that came from. That was, you know, from the character, but, you know, it... It doesn't endear the character to you. Well, and at that point, she's not because yeah. that's we, not what we're supposed we to do We start yet. to relate to her a little bit more when she starts to uh, come to terms with her humanity a little bit. Uh, but it, I don't know if she's quite as relatable as some of the other characters. I would like to see more movies developing this character to let her become more relatable. Uh, I mean, she's mm-hmm. got, we, we don't know exactly what she's going to be used for in Endgame. It's been suspected that she's going to be like, I'm going to save us all, you know, which would kind of be a downer when you're, you're, you've grown so close to all the other Avengers. If she comes in like that, we're going to be like, oh, we wanted you to be part of the team and we wanted to see you learn and grow because that's where I'm at with her. It's like, I want to see her grow more and regaining her humanity and becoming more heroic because she's, she's got a good um, angle where – because. Uh, something she had done in 1989 was because she thought she was doing something to help. If you hear a cat taking over the show in the background, that's fine because a cat took over this movie too, by the way. <laughs> it was great. It was great. I don't want to tell the surprises of little Goose the cat, but Goose is adorable and fun. Yep. And they, it's, it's the, I still think the best thing with Goose is when they when they don't realize Goose is in the ship and they're taking off and they're going some G-forces and Goose is kind of pinned up against some boxes like, meow. 
<laughs> so, oh, there's several moments where he is. I got just sidetracked from what I was hilarious. saying. Hilarious. Yes, see, he stole our show. Even, he just, she just stole our show. That's yeah. our cat back in the background meowing because we're not paying attention to her. But, uh, but we do see she has some good qualities of like, well, she wants to do things to help. And it's like, I, I, oh, well, I can be saving people if I do this. So, like, that's good. That's the type of thing we need heroes to have. We also need heroes to be able to fail and fail and learn and grow from failures. And we get to see that she has had a lot of failures as a human. And she might have thought of those as being weakness. And they even tell her, oh, that's a weakness. Yeah. That's and it's like, no, her falling. Then it shows she got back up every time. So that's, I'm a human. And humans, we get back up again. And now, ha-ha. That's so, a very, very important. I liked that. Like so, climax. I think that would be the climax. That was the climax when she kind of realizes like, hey, I'm not weaker because I'm a human. Because she seems resistant when she's finding out she's a human. She, even when she has a conversation with her best friend again. She's kind of almost mad to find out, like, no, I don't want to be human. I'm I'm Veers. I'm not Carol Danvers. Mm-hmm. And then at the end, I like the nice turnaround. It's like, my name is Carol. Mm-hmm. So she's like, come to terms with it, and she's proud to be it. I'm a human being. This is my home planet, and you stole it from me. Yeah. And I, I'm almost afraid I said too much there. Yeah, you. I'm a little close to it. Yeah, you, but man. anyone who's a Marvel fan who's going in there, you're not expecting that the Kree are like these wonderful heroes. If you are, you're you know you're going to be shocked and surprised. I wasn't shocked and surprised that they're not all that they've you know seemed to be because I knew they weren't. Going into it. And if you watch Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., you know the career problems. Well, see, I haven't watched a lot of Agents yeah. of S.H.I.E.L.D., so, I mean... Well, you've seen enough to see the, you know, the human experimentation, and even yeah, the this I mean, current season of In Space, there's some really nasty Kree in there that are jerks. Well, and but, I mean, I did have I did have that moment of, like, oh, she was betrayed, you know? I mean, it, yeah, I mean, it there, wasn't there like... It would a, be that, but it, it's, it's it, not as a shock as it would be. No, it's if you come into it and not knowing, you know, who the Cree are, then yeah, it, it is. I think there's going to be more of that, like violation of you as the, yeah. you know, like that betrayal of you as the watcher because you come in on one side and then you have to flip just like the the main character does. Yeah. Well, even in the movies, you have seen, uh, well, you've seen at least one nasty Cree because you're we're familiar with Ronan the Accuser. Yeah. yeah. So you wouldn't be, and the only other thing you know about the Kree, they, they had made their treaty with the Nova Corps in Guardians of the Galaxy, and that's where Ronan and the Accuser is very un- upset about that. Uh, he's very, he doesn't want to honor that treaty in Guardians of the Galaxy. So we do see at least one bad Kree, and then the Yondu, he's Kree, so, but yeah. he's he rides off the, the line Ravengers. real, real he's, close. He's more Ravager, but he's, by blood, he's, he's a Kree, so... But uh, one thing that I, I, I would definitely also want to criticize is we get to see Korath, who we know in Guardians of the Galaxy, he had this implant thing in his brain that uh, it's, uh, oh, um, not Groot, but um, the, the dude, um, I forgot his name, the Destroyer, Drax, the Destroyer, Drax. pulls it out of his head and kills him. Yeah. I wanted to see where that implant comes from because we see him, oh, look, he's there, he's a Kree soldier. I presumed that it was in, like, this battle because... Captain Marvel trashes she, she trashes people. them pretty good. Pretty, so. pretty good. So, so maybe I she think did some brain damage to him. I felt like this might be implied of maybe, maybe. that's where this comes in later. But I would like to of, see it later of them being put in this thing, and yeah. you know, you know, maybe you know if they have some more flashback of whatever uh, they do. I don't want to say what happens, but they do deal with where in the world has Captain Marvel been? Although she hasn't taken the name of Captain Marvel, they do deal with where she's been all this time through all these other Marvel movies. She's been busy, which you'll get that at the end of the movie. I won't. I won't say any more because it'll be at the end of the movie. Yeah, there's but two, over, two overall, things at the end you want to wait for. Yeah, there's the two different things. Uh, you've probably heard to stay all the way to the very end of the credits because there is something. The very end of the credits isn't important for story so much. It's just kind of it's a little funny. bit of fun. It's just fun. So, but right after the the initial credits, there isn't a scene that will tie it over to Endgame and get things ready for Endgame here in a couple months, or less than a couple months. I'm because that's April. I don't know. It's coming soon. Yeah. So. Overall, though, uh, it's pretty much your average Marvel movie where it's just a fun, it's a good time. Uh, there's a lot of stuff I've seen people complain about that I can kind of see where they could complain, but not everything I think is complain-worthy. I think you're, you can just really have a good time with this. It was it was fun, and I would like to see the character develop a bit more. And I don't think it was as well done as Wonder Woman, so I, I disagree with Richard Woloski on that one. Because he thought he thought Wonder Woman felt too much like your average superhero movie. And Well, this one, I guess, wouldn't be your average because it was a mystery of sorts. 
Because it was almost to- told in reverse a little. I felt like this was maybe just a little bit above your average superhero movie. That's where I, it was I different. felt yeah. um, on it. I didn't see that it was something that I really want to rush out and like watch again and again. Though. Yeah. It sits in there it's with the rest good. of the Marvel Universe where it's, it's just there. It's still good. It's still I'm, good. I've even heard some people say, oh, well, this reminds me of Ant-Man where Ant-Man was just so different. This didn't have the same tone of Ant-Man. So let's get that no, out there. Uh, and I think because there is some humor in it, but I don't think Brie Larson. Well, maybe it's because it, it might have been a character thing she was trying to do, but the delivery of the humor doesn't always work. I it didn't seemed, have a problem with it. it. Yeah, it sometimes it comes up because there's a difference between funny snark and just snark. Mm-hmm. You know, and it's you, there's a level, and I think it's, it should have been funnier because it seems that it's demonstrating she's got a sense of humor, and they've kind of she gets commented uh, by Jude Law's character, which I can't pronounce his name. He's not who I thought he would be. Uh, that's all I'll say to that. I can't say anything about the identity of some other characters because it was not what I expected, and it's a spoiler. But he does tell her it's like even he even mentions her. Your humor is a, we're a bad defense mechanism. You know he he ridicules her sense of humor. So I see that trying to come out as her having a sense of humor. So she's always trying to have these little jokes. That, you know, and it comes across. Let's say Spider Man's funnier than she is. <laughs> I'll put it like that. You know she has, but she has like this um. smart aleck kind of personality thing that. It, it kind of works, kind of doesn't work. Sometimes it works better than others. It's it's more fun when she gets a little wink and a smile at Nick Fury when she'll kind of kid on him. That's when it starts to work better. I think when you just got that wink and a smile coming along. But before when, you know, when she doesn't have that wink and a smile and she just says it, it just seems like this ornery snark. You're just like, well, that, was, that wasn't necessary. But with Nick Fury, she gets this friendship and you see that smile and a wink kind of come across, you know. Not literally smiling and winking at him, but you get more of that tone of playfulness with her snarkiness. I think came through better later. I think that was just her... The, it might be The character. training versus her accepting herself. And like you said at the beginning where, you know, this humor is bad. You know, basically everything that made her human was bad. And that's yeah. what the career... You know, she got better at it when nobody was telling her to quit it. <laughs> Well, and I, so I think I didn't, that didn't bother me. That didn't come across my, my, you know, uh, radar as anything bad. I felt like it I'm was pointing just, out what other people have said okay, of well, why they've had problems with, but I think there could be reason of character. Well, I, I mean, know. I can see where it doesn't come across very well and that is a thing, but that could be reason of character because she's trying to do something, you know, but being, and so we do see her kind of develop and grow a little bit as she kind of, uh, she seems to maybe settle in a bit more on Earth, something seems to spark whether she starts to act a little bit more human and the longer she's on Earth, I think. And even when she starts to learn that she is, you know, it does seem to change her. So we do see some character growth with that. But I could see where you would say, oh, she seems so wooden. And some people thought she was wooden the entire time on Earth. Like, well, not not the entire time. When she first gets there, yes. But that might be because she's that's the way she thought she has to be. But it seemed like the longer she was on Earth and interacting more with Nick Fury, she started to become more human, and we'd see her actually kind of smile. I can agree with that. See, so I'm thinking maybe maybe give her a little credit, you know, for what she was trying to do. Maybe it wasn't really the stuff that doesn't quite seem to work as well. It's because it wasn't supposed to at first for her character, but as she kind of maybe gradually grows into it, so. But overall, I think you can have a good time with this. It was a fun uh, show. We had a good, we had fun with it. It's it's not one of their best. It's not one of their worst. It was definitely better than Thor: The Dark World. You know, <laughs> if you if you look at that, it was one of the ones that just kind of was like, no, eh, it wasn't very good. Uh, this one sits somewhere in the middle of uh, you know, it's not not going to be one of my favorites, but it was definitely fun. So I like to see what they do further with this character uh, in upcoming films. One quick detail, though, I want to throw in because it is interesting. You will encounter a flurkin in the film, and the flurkin are all alien creatures, and they resemble cats. Now, in the comics, Captain Marvel has a pet cat named Chewie. That's a flurkin, but actually she wasn't aware that it was a flurkin. And she became aware, aware of this actually years after she had Chewie, actually in a space adventure where Chewie laid Eggs, because a flurkin can lay up to 117 eggs and possess a myriad of tentacles that extend from their mouths. And actually, their bodies hold pocket realities, bubbles of space and time that existed into other worlds. So they're very strange creatures. Now, in the film, they did rename the cat Goose, kind of a Top Gun tribute. It's fun that way. But yes, that is a flurkin, in case you were wondering. This is your Neverland Story Time.
you can listen along with your MP3 device. You will know it is time to listen when you hear the chime like this. Let's begin now. It is a warm summer night on a hilltop far from the bright lights of the city. A group of beginner students in astronomy gazes up at the northern stars. Their instructor is speaking. The easiest way to identify the constellations is to start with Ursa Major, the Big Dipper. There it is. It's beautiful. Boy, am I thirsty. Could you pour me a Coke out of that dipper? <laughs> Very funny, Jimmy. And over there, opposite the Big Dipper, lies Cassiopeia, queen of the heavens. Looks like the letter W. Right. Now look carefully. Halfway between the Big Dipper and Cassiopeia lies Polaris, guiding star of our planet Earth. Hey, this is a drag. Come on, Sue. Let's split and go over there by ourselves. Gee, I don't know. Nobody will even notice we're gone. Well... Okay, but just for a little while. And there, winding a huge coil around Polaris like a serpent getting ready to strike, lies Draco the dragon. Wow, really looks like a dragon. And hey, look at all those shooting stars. Almost like the dragon is breathing fire right down at us. <gasps> That's just a meteor shower, but it is unusually bright. I'd swear they landed right there on the other side of the hill. What an imagination she's got. Hey... Isn't this better than being with them? Well, <laughs> mm. oh. Jimmy, look! Huh? Good Lord, get down, Sue, don't move! Those, those creatures! They have almost human bodies! And dragon heads! They're heading right toward the others! Look at that one, bigger than the rest! He looks like he is a dragon, breathing smoke and fire! walks like a man. I think he sees us. Earth people, hear me and hear me well. I, Draco, king of the dragon men, master of the heavens, from this moment on, shall rule over planet Earth. Your fate is sealed. The next morning down at the Daily Bugle, publisher J. Jonah Jameson is furious. Listen to this. Mysterious disappearance of a young group of students terrifies country, battles police. That's from the Clarion. And this, reports of strange lights, UFOs, and weird creatures from space have aroused fear and panic in the countryside. That's from the ledger. And what have we got? Not a word. Not a picture. Uh, Mr. Jameson, these reports just came in. You better look at them. Invasion by creatures from space confirmed. New York City may be their next objective. Eyewitnesses describe space creatures as dragon men. Parker! Uh, yes, sir? Parker, this is the biggest thing of the century. You get out there and get me some pictures fast! Or you're through! You got that? Yes, sir. Is he mad? And as for the rest of you so-called reporters... Dragon men. Oh, boy, I never did go for all that space creature jiving. Uh-oh, my... Spider's sense is tingling. Hi, Peter. Where are you going in such a hurry? Ah, oh, hi, Mary Jane. Oh, Jameson sent me on a wild goose chase. He's really freaking out. Mind if I join you? Oh, come on. Only, uh, you're gonna have to move fast. Something strange going down. Everywhere I walk, it's, it's like danger walking along with me. Especially when I pass a manhole or a sewer. Peter Parker, are you talking to yourself again? Huh? Oh, uh, sorry, MJ. Look, this thing's bugging me. Uh, I'll call you soon, okay? Well, if that's the way you feel. Hated to do that, but I gotta get back to my pad, switch into my Spider-Man outfit. Old Webhead, gotta take a closer look at the sidewalks of New York. And I don't mean the song of the same title. Late that afternoon in one of the myriad of subterranean passages beneath the streets of the city. Yuck! Boy, I can think of a hundred places I'd rather be than down here in the sewer system of New York. But from the minute I got here, my spider sense has been jumping like a yo-yo. Every passage I've been in has been sending out danger signals. And yet I haven't seen... Hey, wait a minute. Light up ahead. Gotta move in closer. Look at that! A huge control room of some kind. I wasn't here before. And who or what is running those machines? Jump in, Jupiter! It's the Dragon Men! And up on that platform. That's gotta be the leader. He's a dragon, and honest to goodness, fire-eating, smoke-breathing dragon, standing up like a ten-foot man and... Welcome, Spider-Man. Come in. Holy cow, he even talks like a man. And how does he know me? 
I gotta play this cool. At your service, Mr. Uh, Mr. We Ra can dispense with pretense, Spider-Man. Not a bad rhyme for a dragon. Draco, king of the dragon men, has not descended from the heavens to bandy words with mere earthlings. Then why has Draco come? Since you are about to die, I'll tell you why. By midnight tonight, your time, the mighty Draco will be master of planet Earth. From what I see right here, it looks like he could do it, too. Gotta stall for time, learn his plan. Ah, uh, sounds like a tall order, even for a bragging dragon. Your insolence is beneath my notice, Spider-Man. But the minute I activate this miniature model of my hydromagnetic energy deactivator... A miniature? It must be 20 feet long by 10 feet high. Precisely. This miniature HMD will instantaneously paralyze every energy source in this city. Every energy source? You mean people, too? Obviously. Every living thing in its minuscule way is an energy source and will be deactivated, paralyzed, as you might say. Then what? New York is only one small part of the world. When word of this event is heard all around your so-called world, I shall issue an ultimatum which will bring it to its knees, subject to the rule of Draco. Gotta stop him and his machine somehow. But first I shall dispose of the one earthling who might get in my way. You, Spider-Man. When Draco next speaks, you shall die. Wow, that was close. He's a walking flamethrower. Shot that flame out of his mouth 30 feet away. Ha ha ha! You missed, old buddy. You want to try again? Gotta lure him away from that machine long enough to get a shot at it. Come on, I'm waiting for you. Or is the mighty Draco afraid to get off his pedestal? Draco fears nothing or no one. Least of all, you, Spider-Man. Ah, he's off the platform, coming toward me. Just a little more, baby, that's it. Die, Spider-Man! Missed again, chum. Now's my chance to get some of Spidey's patented heavy-duty, icky, sticky web fluid all over the controls of that machine, like this... Got it! I've deactivated the deactivator. What does that do to your flaky plan, Drakey baby? Dragonman! Seize him! Destroy him! Uh-oh. I wondered how long before they got into the act. There's too many of them. Gotta get out of here fast. Don't let him get away! Take him! Stop him! I'm positive one of these tunnels leads to the control room of the city's water supply. Wow! There it is! Man, those old spider instincts really come in handy down here. Now, to divert the water flow just long enough to flood the underground passages. Uh-oh, here come a few of Draco's pretty boys. A couple of well-aimed shots by the web-slinger. And they're out of action. Now to turn on the flood. And get out of here! It is now 10 o'clock that night. Nice to be on the streets of New York instead of under them. At the latest here, special night edition, dragon men destroyed an underground flood, now revealed to have been robots, not humanoids. Dragon men destroyed. Get the latest here. Robots? From outer space? Hmm, gotta get me up high where the air is fresh and I can clear my head and do some thinking. A little web slinging and up, up and away I go! Hey, you know, this old Empire State Building is still pretty high. And how clear the stars look from up here. There's the Big Dipper, and Cassiopeia, and Polaris. And well, what do you know? Draco the Dragon, still up there. Then the leader of the Dragon Men wasn't an invader from space. Correction, Spider-Man. Isn't an invader from space. You, Draco, or whatever your name is. So you managed to escape. Though you destroyed my army, you can never destroy Draco. Come off it, Drakey, old chum. Tell me, who are you really? And why the masquerade? This is no masquerade, I assure you. I am Demosthenes Q. Drake. Demosthenes Drake? Winner of the Nobel Prize in Biology? your service. But he was reported lost during an expedition down the Amazon years ago. Simply a cover story for my greatest experiment. Don't tell me you allowed yourself to be bitten by a radioactive dragon, like I was bitten by a spider. You, my friend, are nothing but a freak. A mutation by accident. Draco is the triumphant result 
of the deliberate introduction of the genes of a giant species of iguana into the bloodstream of a human. Transforming gentle little Demosthenes Drake into a huge fire-eating dragon that walks like a man? And now, once and for all, we shall test Darwin's law of the survival of the fittest. Pretty sneaky, Draco. But you missed again. Your aim hasn't improved, and neither is your breath. You ought to try fresh. The mouthwash for droopy dragons. Your infantile wit will not save you, Spider-Man. Now, for the first time, you will feel the full power of the King of Dragons. Wow! He shot flames from both hands and his mouth. Didn't expect that. Uh-oh. Poisonous fumes got me. Nearly paralyzed. I can hardly move. <laughs> I've got you. And now I'm going to enjoy tearing you limb from limb. He's coming at me full speed. If he hits me, I'm a goner. Now, die, Spider-Man! Gotta move! Now! He went over the edge. Hit that roof 20 floors below. Gotta get down and look at him close up. My head's clearing now. Fume's wearing off. Well, I'll be... There's nothing left, not a thing. Wait a minute, what's that? I don't believe it. An iguana. A tiny iguana crawling away. Just disappeared down that hole in the wall. What an inglorious end to the career of the great Demosthenes Drake. But what a great day for the world. To Disney and beyond. Now let's get down to some actual comics nitty-gritty. And knowing who are the, some of the characters that you'll encounter in the Captain Marvel film, uh, some of their comic book origins, and some things that you would like to maybe know that I must say are very different in a lot of ways in the film, mainly in the fact that Marvel. Uh, you're going to find it to be a kind of a different character in uh, some major ways in the film. Uh, we'll just put it like that. But let me tell you about the original Captain Marvel as far as Marvel is concerned. Now, of course, uh, there was Fawcett Comics that did have their own Captain Marvel from 1940 to 1953. And they had a very popular character in Captain Marvel who, with the wizard's name Shazam, uh, little Billy Batson was able to turn into basically Superman. And that's actually what got them into trouble. Captain Marvel started becoming more popular than Superman for a brief while. And... And around 1953, uh, from a 1951 copyright infringement suit that DC Comics had fired, uh, filed on their trademark, it started to kind of lapse, but things kind of moved around to where nobody was publishing anybody called Captain Marvel anymore. Although he had been popular, DC was kind of taking that in. There was a lawsuit settlement of around you know, $4,500. Uh, but Marvel saw an opportunity to create a character called Captain Marvel, so they developed Marvel, who uh, was a creed created by Stan Lee and designed by artist Gene Colon, actually first appearing in Marvel Superheroes number 12 in December of 1967. This is, of course, during the Silver Age of Comics, and, of course, he was really ranked as one of the, uh, the top 50 Avengers, which is also very, very cool. Now... Some weird things kind of happen later on. Um, that we have a Captain Marvel that uh, you you he we, we've had female Captain Marvels and everything. Uh, it's been very kind of uh, weird. But uh, let's go back to the '60s. After the Kree's first encounter with humans, Captain Marvel is sent to spy on Earth and decide if it is a threat to the Kree Empire. Now let's take a quick moment and look at the Kree. Empire. Now, those of us that are familiar with the comics and even familiar with if you've been watching Marvel's Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., we've seen blue-skinned Kree. In fact, Ronan the Accuser, which you saw in Guardians of the Galaxy. We're used to the blue-skinned blue Kree. Now, the Kree have... They've intermingled with some of the other planets within their empire, and you do have some pink-skinned Kree, or also known as the 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 whites or the pinks by the the Krees. They they kind of resemble a Caucasian human, but of course uh, they're blue skinned humanoid race. They hail from the planet Hala in the Pama system, which is located by a large megalonic cloud. And they're of course technologically advanced, extremely militaristic, and they conquer every world in their galaxy and form of course the Kree 
Empire. Now, they are superior to humans in a lot of physical ways. They're stronger. They're a little bit more durable than we are. Uh, so they're, they're really, really tough. Uh, and they have had a history with scrolls in the past, and you're going to see that in the film. The Kree and the scrolls have had wars. Uh, I don't know that they've ever actually interbred with the Kree, because they've interbred with about everybody else, but not exactly... Uh, and with the scrolls. Now, of course, the scrolls, we're going to meet them later. I'll talk about them a little bit later, but you know, I just want to give you a brief synopsis of the Kree Empire. Uh, but Marvell adopted an identity of a recently deceased scientist named Walter Lawson, uh, but occasionally dons his Kree military uniform to protect the people he's observing. And the first time he does this, people hear him incorrectly pronounce his name as Captain Marvel. His job is made difficult by his jealous commanding officer, Colonel. Yon Rog, his growing affection for humanity, and his fake identity's criminal past. Now, the name Yon Rog, you'll find that name to be interesting. It barely gets a mention, but somebody is playing that character in the film, but it would spoil things if I told you who. So, I'm not going to say. But after aiding humanity several times, Marvell is found guilty of treason against the Kree Empire and sentenced to death by firing squad. Marvell escapes in a stolen rocket but becomes lost in space, and after tw 112 days, he's weak on the verge of madness. And he's manipulated by Ronan the Accuser and Kree Minister Zarek into helping them overthrow the Supreme Intelligence. And to better help them, Marvell is given a new costume and enhanced abilities, and after the conspiracy is foiled, Marvell tries to return to Earth. Earth, and on the way, he is hit by a blast of radiation that traps him in the negative zone. The Supreme Intelligence enables Marvell to telepathically contact Rick Jones, which he used to lead Jones to set of negabands in an abandoned Kree base. When Jones puts on the bands and strikes them together, he trades places with Marvell and is encased in a protective aura in the negative zone. The pair discovered they are able to maintain telepathic contact, and using this method, Marvell can remain in the positive universe for a period of three hours. Now, a fun side note about Rick Jones, for anyone who uh, knows a little bit of Incredible Hulk history, Rick Jones was a guy who kind of got in the way of a gamma bomb that nearly went off, and Dr. Bruce Banner ran out to try to protect Rick Jones from the exploding gamma bomb, so Rick Jones did not get exposed to the gamma radiation, but Bruce Banner did. So that's kind of a fun tie-in. So Rick Jones does end up getting some powers sort of later that he can switch back and forth with Marvell. Now, I do want to advance this a little bit into some uh, very interesting things. And let's let's talk a little bit about Carol Danvers. Now, Carol Danvers, of course, we know her now as Captain Marvel. That's kind of a newer thing. Uh, within, the, I think, the last 10, 15 years, I think, is when they've started that. Um but okay, so her first incarnation, incarnation as Ms. Marvel was in Ms. Marvel number one, cover dated of January 1977, after her DNA was fused with Marvell's during an explosion, which gave her superhuman powers. She has also been known as Binary, Warbird, and now recently Captain Marvel. Now, the interesting thing is her powers at the time were mainly flight and super strength and being very durable. So she was kind of a um, Supergirl, and there was I've even seen some comments in some of the later section that they've noted that she's very much like a uh, Supergirl version. You know, she's Ms. Marvel instead of a Captain Marvel, and she's got similar powers. So she was pretty much Supergirl <laughs> in, at the time. Uh, but she had been a security chief on a military base where she met Dr. Walter Lawson, which is a human alias originally of Captain Marvel, Captain Marvel or Marvel. And of course, after the explosion, she gets the powers. Danvers resurfaces with superhuman abilities, becomes Ms. Marvel in a self-titled series, as we said in January 1977, which was written by Jerry Conway and later by Chris Claremont. Now, in the series, it's revealed that the energy exposure from the explosion of a device called the Psychomagnetron caused Danvers' genetic structure to meld with Captain Marvel's, effectively turning her into a human-Cree hybrid. Ms. Marvel had a series of semi-regular appearances in The Avengers, with additional appearances with the Defenders, Spider-Man, The Thing, and Iron Man. And in one of these stories, the mutant terrorist Mystique kills Michael Barnett, Ms. Marvel's lover. And at the time of publication of Ms. Marvel, number one in 1977, the title was self-consciously socially progressive for its time, and this was reflected in the use of the word Ms. M.S., 
uh, then associated with the feminist movement at the time and in Danvers fighting for equal pay for equal work in her civilian identity. Now, some of the things I've found very interesting that I was not aware of is when she would turn back and forth into Ms. Marvel, Carol Danvers had no memory of it. She wouldn't know that anything was happening. And at one point, her writings that she would write in on uh, women's rights issues and everything got the attention of J. Jonah Jameson of the Daily Bugle, and she was actually doing work at the Daily Bugle, which I found that to be interesting. I did not know about that. So uh, a very interesting thing, though, that was going to happen later to Ms. Marvel, and X-Men fans might be familiar with this, is, you know, Mystique and uh, Rogue were running around together because, you know, mother-daughter relationship kind of thing. Rogue was basically doing whatever her mother told her to do. She, You know, we know Rogue is not as evil as she might have appeared. But in a certain incident, Rogue did use her power-absorbing uh, touch on Ms. Marvel and took all of Ms. Marvel's powers away. Now, notice Rogue does not have photon blasts. Never has. She had strength, flight, and very good durability. Now, it's been said in the heart lately that Ms. Marvel is like one of the most powerful characters in the Marvel Universe. I looked at some stats and some of her old trading cards. Uh, she ranks about the same level as like Spider-Man, so she's very strong. I mean, she's not... The Hulk, but she's got some really neat powers that she's gotten along the way. Uh, and this is where we get some of the powers that she has now manifested. Uh, like, she was abducted actually by the alien Brood. Uh, kind of hard to explain the Brood, but uh, they're creepy. <laughs> Let's put it like that. But she was subjugated to an evolutionary ray that triggered the latent potential of her augmented genes. Thus, she became the cosmically powered mutate called a binary. No longer possessed of strong emotional ties to people and places on Earth, Carol decided to leave the planet and pursue new challenges as a member of the spacefaring band of adventurers known as the Star Jammers. Now, those in the know uh, know that the Star Jammers is actually where Scott Summers, known as Cyclops, where his father actually ended up as one of the Star Jammers in a really complicated issue that they've never gotten into a movie, but his father is one of the Star Jammers. He's basically like almost a space pirate sort of thing. It would be neat if, uh, with the Fox deal coming through, if we get across the Star Jammers running into, uh, say, the Guardians of the Galaxy. They're kind of similar in some ways. Now, uh, while Carol's body was in space, her memories began exerting itself within Rogue's body, and the experience began driving Rogue crazy. And after going through the Siege Perilous, Rogue and Carol were physically split, with Rogue only having her base powers and Carol retaining her powers. Uh, Gateway, which Gateway's a complicated character, another mutant, but he can teleport people. But he teleported the two away from the Reavers, with Rogue ending up in the Savage Lane and Carol on Mural Island. The Shadow King took control of Carol and sent her after Rogue. Carol was decomposing as there was only enough life energy to sustain one person. And as Carol started winning, Rogue began, began decomposing. However, the fight ended with Carol's death due to Magneto interfering on Rogue's behalf. This was a big complicated thing, but her, her history with Rogue to me is some of the more interesting things that have happened to Ms. Marvel. Now, uh, this is where it starts getting a little bit complicated, and we move along. Uh, let's go ahead and talk about the scrolls because there was a massive scroll invasion. So the Scroll Empire is a vast intergalactic empire that rules a million worlds. The scrolls have conquered or colonized every suitable world in the Andromeda Galaxy. Tens of millions of years ago, they were already expanding into neighboring galaxies, becoming an intergalactic empire. Those of you who have seen the film are realizing, holy cow, that is different than what they represented. Uh, in the modern era, the scrolls control worlds throughout the Andromeda Galaxy, and in neighboring galaxies, and a thousand races were conquered and absorbed into the Scroll Empire. It's an empire that will likely trillions of sentient beings. And the Scroll capital was located on Tarnex Four from Scrollos over a hundred thousand years ago. Now there's this Kree Scroll Scroll War, and that kind of becomes important within the. Uh, the film. Uh, but I do want to back up that uh, aided by their shape-sifting powers, the scrolls departed their home world into space. When they encountered a new race, they simply transformed themselves to resemble that race. The empire that resulted from these contacts was based on free trade and mutual cooperation. So see, the scrolls can get along, but they're bits of verses when they do it. In the beginning, the scrolls were a peaceful, scientifically inclined race. Their scientists also formed the first cosmic cube that later became the shape of worlds. Now, the cosmic cube, that's pretty much where we got the Tesseract in the Marvel Cinematic Universe, except for the Tesseract being the cube. It also turns out to be an infinity stone. Uh, the cosmic cube it's in the Marvel Universe, it's different. We'll just we'll leave that alone. We don't necessarily have to go, go that way. But if you want to do some research on that, you can. 
Now, the scrolls voyaged to the Milky Way and large Magellanic Cloud. In the latter cluster, they discovered the Cree homeworld of Hala. And the Cree were at the dawn of their culture at this point, and they shared Hala with the planet, plant race, the Katati. The scrolls decided to favor one of the races with their advanced technology and devised a test to determine which would be the favored race. So the scrolls created the blue area of the moon that transported bands of Cree and Kotati there. Both groups were left to accomplish what they could. The scrolls judged the Kotati's work to be superior, and this angered the Cree and led to vicious attack in which the Cree band slew the scroll judges and the Kotati. So the Cree stole the scrolls starship and technology and because of the immense distances involved decades later passed before the scrolls learned of the Cree's activities but at this time it's too late the Cree had already become advanced and audacious enough to attack the scrolls in their home galaxy and during the millennia that followed the scrolls developed the vicious streak needed to conduct intergalactic war their entire culture was remade into a warrior image as the war began so that's how we kind of got to where the scrolls we know them today where they're a bit more warlike because they come across a very militaristic Cree determined that the, the people they Cree are living with the Squatati plant-like race are actually superior the Cree get up set there's been a war going on for a long long time it actually did though come to an end during the dark phoenix crisis lilandra the shiar magistrix the shiar have their own empire that's a whole other thing that i was hoping the dark phoenix upcoming film was going to get into but apparently they won't uh but uh lilandra consulted both the Cree supreme intelligence and the scroll empress arkill regarding the current host of the phoenix force which was Jean gray at the time they agreed to let the X-Men fight the Shi'ar Imperial Guard in an honor duel to determine her fate, and the Skrull warrior Raxor and the Kree warrior Beldon were assigned to monitor the fight and assure that the X-Men lost, and soon they turned on each other. For months, they hunted and fought each other in the bowels of the inhuman city of Atalan. Watu, the Watcher, took notice and informed the rulers of the Skrull and Kree empires. And after much thought and discussion, the two empires came to the conclusion that because of the vast galactic distance between them, the Eon's old war had been a vast drain on the two empires. They were too evenly matched for each other to achieve a decisive victory over the other, so Empress Arkil and the Supreme Intelligence agreed to let the fight between their two greatest warriors the scroll Raxor and the Cree Beldan to determine the winner of the war. So the fighting continued for additional months, undermining the foundations of Atalan. Upon being advised of what was happening by Uatu, the Fantastic Four and the Inhumans manipulated the two to join forces against them and made it so the heroes lost the fight. Uatu the Watcher then interceded, declared Earth the loser, and the scroll Cree Empires both winners, ending the war. Now later on, the scroll would in invade earth and what was known as the secret invasion where it turned out they did what they typically do they they pick out some humans and they they impersonate them and they actually impersonated some heroes most famously spider woman so all right so we've got this complicated history now i gotta dive into some other stuff to get to where these photon blasts came along all right, so let's just list out some of these powers. So initially, of course, we mentioned she had superhuman strength, endurance, stamina, physical durability, and actually had a limited precognitive seventh sense and a perfectly amalgamated human Cree physiology that, of course, rendered her resistant to most toxins and poisons. Now, as binary, she could actually tap into the energy of a white hole, allowing full control and manipulation of stellar energies, and therefore control over heat, the electromagnetic spectrum, and gravity, light speed travel, and the ability to survive in the vacuum of space where also possible. She originally had only had the power of flight thanks to a contraption under her suit, which I think was something like retconned for her. But now, being binary, that is a whole other thing where... Uh uh, let's, let's, it's complicated, but see, Carol was abducted by the brood. We mentioned that, and they're the ones that did some experiments, and they gave her some heat abilities, and some of these photon blasts eventually were part of having been binary, so that's where that has come from. Uh, but it's a bit more recent history uh, around the 2010s. Uh, this was at the conclusion of the second volume of Ms. Marvel. They keep trying to give her a book, and it, it always disappears. Uh, she always does better as part of the Avengers, apparently. But uh, Carol Danvers was battling... 
Mystique, her old nemesis, and a clone of Captain Marvel created by the Skulls during the Secret Invasion. Now, the Secret Invasion was, of course, the Skrulls invading Earth. And after they carry out a, season of, a series of tragedies at temples belonging to the Church of Hala, a church dedicated to Marvel, Danvers later aids the allied forces of Steve Rogers against Iron Patriot during the Siege of Asgard. Danvers also begins to develop a friendship with Spider-Man. Though he infuriates her the first time they work together, the two become closer when he helps her during the Dark Reign storyline, and she later admits to having feelings for him following the conclusion of the Siege storyline. Ms. Marvel returns as a regular character in the second volume of the New Avengers. And of course, Spider-Man was one of those New Avengers as well. But in July 2012, Carol Danvers assumed the mantle of Captain Marvel in an ongoing series written by Kelly Sue DeConnick with art by Dexter Soy. Danvers dons a jumpsuit and explores her own past. When describing her pitch for the series at WonderCon 2012, DeConnick said that it would be pretty much be summed up as Carol Danvers as Chuck Yeager. She said the series would contemplate what Captain Marvel's legend means to Danvers, how she would wield it, and how the rest of the Marvel Universe reacts. So, like I said, this is actually fairly recently with her being known as Captain Marvel. And now, of course, with a film of Shazam coming out, the original Captain Marvel from Fawcett Comics, later DC Comics. There's why some people think that the uh, a lot of the controversy, whatever stuff is going on, because the people who grew up you know, with loving the Captain Marvel that would say Shazam to become Captain Marvel versus... Marvel's Captain Marvel, uh, which now, of course, that character over in DC is simply known as Shazam as part of the New 52. That's They just figured, let's just drop being Captain Marvel whatsoever, which the comics and stuff, he was being known as Shazam, but he still referred to himself as Captain Marvel in the comics. Whole other issue. We'll probably talk about that later when that film comes out. But that gives you a brief history, though, of Captain Marvel or Ms. Marvel or Carol Danvers, you know, however you want to look at it, in the comics and some of the things that have gone on with her. And, you know, so they've recently rebooted her solo series again because, of course, that's what Marvel does. When they have a film come out with a character, they push that character out there. So they've relaunched her as a, uh, as a solo series, which... They've done many times. I actually have some issues, uh, some Ms. Marvel issues where they were trying to put her out. Uh, I think even during the Civil War, they had some issues, and then the Civil War events happened. I have some issues of that. But, you know, every time they get her started, it kind of goes away. But, you know, like I said, we're going to have a push right now. How long will the current book last? I do not know. Thank you for listening to the Neverland Podcast. We invite you back next week for more fun and adventure. Until then, remember to keep a pixie in your pocket. It's that young at heart, positive attitude that you can share with others. And remember to visit our website at NeverlandPodcast.com. There you can find links to our news page, our shop, our contact page, where you can easily send an email to podcast at NeverlandPodcast.com. You can also find our Neverlanders page, where you can find out how to become an official lost boy or pixie, because girls are too clever to get lost. Become a real Neverlander. Please feel free to leave us a voicemail at 816-226-6492. And be sure to follow us on Twitter at NeverlandPCast. And like our Neverland Podcast fan page on Facebook. We also have a group on Facebook for you to join. We also appreciate your support to keep the Neverland Podcast up and running. Visit Patreon.com slash NeverlandPodcast to donate to Keeping the Pixie Dust Alive. Copyright content featured on the Neverland podcast is copyright of their respective creators and used under fair use license. All original content is copyright of Blue Band Productions and a very special thanks to Yeehaw Bob Jackson at yeehawbob.com for our new ending music. God bless! Yeah! Hello everybody, this is Yeehaw Bob Jackson. Neverland Podcast, we love you. Neverland Podcast, we love you. Neverland Podcast, it's true. Neverland Podcast, we love you. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill.